Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Primal Potential is about you. Your ability to change is not defined by yesterday and doesn't need to wait until tomorrow. Your transformation is now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. We've got a science-based show for you today. We're going to be talking hormones, thyroid, estrogen, infertility, insulin, carb sensitivity, cravings, hunger, you name it. And I'm not going to be doing it alone. Today, I have Dr. Sean Talbot on the show. And Dr. Sean is one of the most articulate scientists that I've ever met. I don't know how many scientists you've spoken to, researchers that you've had a chance to sit down with, but so many of them I've found are really, really brilliant, but they struggle to break it down and make it really accessible to the average Joe. And Dr. Sean is an exception to that rule. He makes advanced topics so accessible and so easy to understand. He has degrees in basically everything, sports medicine, fitness management, exercise science, nutritional biochemistry. It goes on and on and on. He's worked with the Olympic Committee. He had, I mean, he himself is a, a professional athlete and he has a passion for understanding the microbiome, especially the ways in which the microbiome go beyond gut health right? Because yes, gut health is probably the first thing that so many of us think of when we talk about the microbiome. But what you're going to realize today is that the microbiome has a massive impact on our ability to focus, on stress resilience, on any and all hormonal challenges, whether we're talking about body weight or we're talking about thyroid or we're talking about fertility. And I think you're going to have a much better understanding of what optimizing a microbiome could mean and look like for you. So I want to get right to it. I'm pumped to share this conversation with you. Dr. Sean Talbot, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Elizabeth. It's great to be here. I have been really looking forward to this conversation. And before we get into it, I just have to ask you, or really, I have to confess a like a pet peeve of mine about the microbiome, and I'm just really curious if you feel this way too, or if you don't. When people use the microbiome synonymously with gut health, it drives me bonkers because I think that while it's awesome that people are talking about it more and more and more, I think we're doing a huge disservice to people when we overgeneralize and dumb it down and only talk about the gut health piece of it. What, what do you think about that? Does it drive you crazy? Like, Oh my God, it, 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 it makes me itch. It makes me so angry. <laughs> I 
mean, um, in fact, it's a bit, people, people have just started asking me that, right? Because I talk about the microbiome so much. They'll say, like, you know, you say microbiome a lot, you know, how is that different than just talking about gut health? And I'm like, well, gut health is only one tiny, tiny slice of what yeah. the overall microbiome does. The microbiome touches every aspect of our health and thinking that microbiome is just a gut thing really doesn't, doesn't even scratch the surface. And I think it's, it's so largely because there are so many, uh, maybe well-intentioned, but under-informed supplement companies out there who are just like, oh yeah, probiotics, constipation, bloating, diarrhea. And then their messaging is how people get this impression that when we talk about the microbiome, where we're talking about the gut, but there's a bajillion times more than that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, part of it, part of it is that, that, that companies and consumers and even, you know, even a lot of scientists and health professionals don't, don't understand the wide reaching um, aspects of, of how microbiome influences um, mental health and physical health and, and disease risk and all that kind of stuff. But part of it, right, if we're going to cut them some slack is that the science just actually wasn't there until just very, very recently, you know? So yeah. like you're, you're, you're a lot more informed than the average bear. Um, right. So, you know, that could, that could be part, part of it too. Absolutely. I mean, five, 10 years ago, what we knew was related to the gut. And so what most people still know about is the gut, which is why I'm so excited to, to talk to you today about the microbiome beyond gut health. But let's try to get everybody on the same page first. What are we talking about when we use that word microbiome? Yeah, so if we want to get very precise, when we say microbiome, it's it's a collection of not just the bacteria that are in the gut, but it's the bacteria, it's 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 fungi, it's it's viruses, it's um, it's it's a, it's a, it's a whole it's a whole ecosystem. But the word microbiome refers to the the bacteria and their genome or their or their DNA. If we're just talking about the the bacteria, we would we would more precisely say microbiota. But because we're talking about the microbiome, we really have to understand that it's the bacteria, it's how they interact with each other, it's what they eat, it's what their metabolism looks like, it's how their DNA interacts with our human DNA. There, there are a lot of moving parts when we use that term. And I think because there are so many moving parts, it becomes tough for the average bear to wrap their mind around how this all works. Because we think bacteria and we're thinking microscopic little bugs. How in the world could those be such a driving force in all aspects of our health. And what has been so fascinating to me to learn, and I've, I've really just kind of dug into this in the last year or so, is the way that the bacterial composition of our bodies impacts our hormones. But on a high level, just so everybody can start to wrap their mind around this, how does that work? How is it even possible that these microscopic bacteria can influence our hormones. And the reason that I think this is so important to talk about is because many of us, and I certainly have fallen into this camp in the past, 
feel like what's going on with our hormones is kind of largely out of our control and, you know, we just have these hormonal issues and it's a function of getting older or it's a function of our genes. But the fact is, that's not the case. So much of it has to do with the microbiome. How is that possible? Right. Yeah. So, so let me let me back up just a little bit. I, you know, I started writing books about about hormones and health about uh, about twenty years ago. You know, writing books about cortisol and thyroid and insulin and estrogen and testosterone and all those kinds of things. And and then twenty years ago, we actually didn't have the perspective that we have today. That what happens in the gut actually. Th- through the microbiome affects a lot of that hormone balance or what we would broadly call metabolism. So when people hear that the first time or hear that modulating a certain level of bacteria in your gut can change your mood or can Mm. change your blood sugar control or can change your stress resilience, that kind of thing should, should sound you know, fairly like science fiction to, to, to most people, right? Yeah. Here are these little bacteria that I can't even see, and they're having these effects on my behavior. That doesn't make any sense. But then when you really drill down into it and consider that when we talk about the microbiome, we're talking about approximately 100 trillion bacteria. So on a, on a cellular count basis, that outnumbers our human cells by a factor of at least 10 to one, you know, maybe, maybe even more than that, you know, so there's a lot of them. And so they are producing things like serotonin, which helps us feel happy or dopamine, which helps us feel motivated or norepinephrine that helps us feel focused or GABA that helps us feel relaxed. So, you know, the majority of these bioactive compounds in our bodies and, and, you know, that determine our behavior and our performance and things like that are being made in the gut. And we actually didn't even know that as little as a decade ago, you know? So it, you know, it's, it's, it's almost in a way that, you know, in the last decade, we have discovered this new hormone control organ in our bodies and we're just teasing out how we can modulate that and balance it and optimize it now. So it's, it's, it's actually a really exciting time. It really is. And you kind of helped clarify something for me that has been very frustrating. I first started talking to my own doctors about polycystic ovarian syndrome 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, as recently as a year ago, was talking with my endocrinologist about thyroid dysfunction and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And none of my doctors, even when I froze my eggs and we were talking about fertility and infertility issues, none of my doctors ever once mentioned the link between polycystic ovarian syndrome or Hashimoto's or infertility and the microbiome. And I've, I've seen some really great doctors. Why yeah. are they not talking about this? Yeah. It's, you know, part, part of it is, is that it's just not part of their training when they're in medical school. Yeah. And, and a lot of this, a lot of this very, very new science around the microbiome is, it is quite literally a couple of years old. And, you know, and so unless those those healthcare practitioners are looking to the very, very new science and going to, you know, the kinds of scientific conferences where, you know, scientists like myself will present these data. They're just not, they're just not getting, getting that information. If they don't have that information, they can't download it to their patients. You know, so, you know, part of it too, is that, you know, we're just still trying to tease out all the different 
pathways here. So, you know, here's a, here's an example from my laboratory, you know, three years ago, we did a study where we, where we looked at, at a microbiome intervention. We were using specific strains of bacteria to help people feel better. So our main outcome that we were in, interested in was taking people who were stressed out and seeing if we could use these, these, these probiotics to help pe to change microbiome balance and help people with their tension and their irritability and their anxiety and their mood and things like that. And that's what we found. People felt a lot better after, after as little as a month. So that was wonderful. What we found after that, though, is that a subset of that population what, who was taking thyroid hormone actually came back and said, you know what, I'm starting to not feel great. So they felt good after a month, then after two months or three months or so, they started feeling sort of anxious and irritable. And what we actually found after we did, did some due diligence, we found that the microbiome was, this, this, this rebalancing of the microbiome was helping their thyroid metabolism be better. So the side effects that they were feeling down the road were that they were over-medicated and they didn't need right. as much of their thyroid hormone. You know? So what they were feeling was the anxiety and the tension of being over-medicated with thyroid. So all, and, and it just so happens that 100% of those subjects were women. They came back and they lowered their thyroid hormones, worked with their doctors to get down to the right dose. And they and they got back to that that state of feeling great, you know. So that that set off a like a huge light bulb that went, wow, the microbiome is really helping the the the, the body manage its thyroid metabolism a lot better than before. So again, very exciting stuff that we didn't know before. It was fascinating to me when I got pregnant. I I was being monitored for my Hashimoto's and my doctors told me, my OB, my maternal, maternal fetal medicine doc, they said, we've got to really keep an eye on your thyroid because it's very common in pregnancy that if you have a thyroid issue, it's going to get worse mm -hmm. when you're pregnant. And so every couple of months, they were testing my thyroid and it was getting better and better and better throughout my pregnancy. And they were kind of surprised by that. But what I, I, wasn't so surprised because it was three or four months before I got pregnant that I started working on my microbiome. Right. And then I continued over that time. And I, I don't know. I mean, what do you, is it likely that the continued improvement of my, the microbiome continues to balance out and heal my thyroid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 highly likely because one of the really interesting aspects of of microbiome modulation is that if you can get somebody out of a you know what we would say a dysbiotic microbiome, right, an unbalanced microbiome, back to a state of balance, it's not just that you're improving their their mood or their stress or their thyroid hormone sort of in the moment, the same way a medication might. What you're actually doing is that that rebalanced microbiome is, is now very dynamic to whatever is happening in your body, in your environment, in conjunction with your diet. So it becomes this, um, it becomes this sort of like on demand 
uh, metabolism enhancer. You know, so if you're if you're going through a state of pregnancy, your microbiome is going to adapt and help you maintain balance in that situation. If you're going through a situation of stress, the microbiome will adapt and help you maintain resilience. You know, so it's it's a it's a really once it's in balance, it should be this dynamic maintainer of of homeostasis in your entire body. So that's what you described. I would I would I would fully expect that to happen with a good microbiome. That's so exciting to me. And I know there are people who are going to listen to this and they're like, that's super cool, but I don't have a thyroid issue or I don't have polycystic ovarian syndrome. But when we talk about hormones and we talk about the impact of the microbiome on hormones, we're also talking about things like insulin, body composition, hunger, cravings, carbohydrate sensitivity or carbohydrate tolerance, and add this to the list of things that I wish I knew 10 years ago and right. I wish my doctors had talked to me about because this is such a factor of, as you mentioned, dysbiosis. And, and when I hear things like researchers can tell with 90% accuracy whether somebody is lean or heavy based just on looking at a snippet of their microbiome right. or when I hear things like if we alter the bacterial composition of somebody's body and we change nothing else, we don't change diet, we don't change exercise, we can change their body composition. That tells me that is a piece of the, of the weight loss struggle. That is a piece of the chronic hunger and lack of satiety or not feeling full struggle. That is a piece of the craving struggle. And it ties back to the hormone insulin. Right. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you talk it? about like how that just is like mind blowing to me. Yeah, well, you know, so first of all, you, you know, you, you, you brought up a really, really good point there that, you know, a lot of times when we say hormones, people automatically default to, you know, if you're a woman, you're thinking about estrogen. Right. And if you're a man, you're thinking about testosterone. You're like, that's your framework of what hormones are all about. But, it, but you have metabolic hormones like thyroid and insulin that, that govern your, your, your handling of, of sugar and, where, you know, where you store it and whether you burn it and, you know, what your overall energy levels look like. You've got stress hormones like cortisol that can either, you know, enhance your metabolism or throw a monkey wrench into your metabolism. You've got, you've got appetite signals that in a large part are coming from your microbiome. So one of the really interesting things that we see in our studies is that when you take somebody out of, out of microbiome imbalance and put them back into balance, that sort of going from dysbiosis back into balance, their appetite changes almost at a subconscious level. Well, you know, they'll, they'll come back a couple of weeks or a couple of months later and say, you know what? I'm losing weight and I'm not really trying to exercise. I'm not trying to diet. What's going on? I and mean, when you explain it to them, you know, well, your microbiome is changing. Now your microbiome is sending different signals to your brain. So now you're not getting that stress craving. Now you're not getting that sweet craving. Now you're not getting that craving for that, you know, whatever that food is that you used to reach for in a, you know, in a, in a stressful situation. And so you're making better choices with your diet subconsciously. You're probably also more physically active subconsciously because your energy is higher and your resilience is better. And like those kinds of lifestyle choices that people end up making are through this whole cascade of signaling molecules that are, that are 
are at their heart coming from the microbiome. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot going on there. We just, we just did a weight loss trial with the microbiome at the sort of center of what our intervention was. And I could talk a little bit about that if you want to, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm not oh, sure please. how much. How much you want me to get into the weeds there? But no, I tell me about it. Okay, so 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 in this trial, all we all we did with the people, so the subjects were were sort of middle aged, um, average body weight, um, you know, average body fats, like kind of like the average American person out there. Um, we 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 gave them. Um, we gave them uh, suggestions around diet and exercise, but we didn't put them on a diet. We didn't put them on an exercise regimen. All we did was we gave them probiotics and different fibers and different phytonutrients and things like that, all geared towards rebalancing their microbiome and make their microbiome more, more resilient. And over the course of six weeks, we saw people lose about 2% body fat. Their, their, their glucose levels were improved by about 6%. Um, all their blood lipids came down, cholesterols and triglycerides and bad cholesterol went down, good cholesterol went up. Uh, we saw stress hormones like cortisol go down. We saw metabolic markers uh, uh, improve in a lot of different ways. But that, that ratio of bacteria that you referred to just a little while ago, that kid that can sort of predict weight gain or weight loss, mm -hmm. that changed in a, in a direction that would suggest weight loss over time. You know? So all of this happened it just because we were focusing on the microbiome. And so that's not to say like, hey, this is the silver bullet that's going to get everybody to lose weight without trying. It's not that sort of a thing. But if you can modulate that piece of the puzzle, change appetite, change energy, make people more stress resilient, get them in a place where they're metabolically more inclined to take benefit from their exercise regimen and take benefit from their from their from their from their good eating, that that sort of lets their program get better traction, if you will. Because there's so many people. Like one of the one of the things I hear all the time from people is, "Hey, I'm eating right," you know, sort of in quotes, mm -hmm. and I'm and I'm exercising my brains out, and I'm not losing weight. I seem to be stuck. That stuck is very often something that we call metabolic endotoxemia, which really originates in the microbiome. You know, now it's microbiome is out of balance and your gut integrity is out of balance. And that's a, you know, that is something that can really put the brakes on your, your overall metabolism. Well, and you just mentioned two things that are huge factors for anybody who wants to lose weight and they are directly impacted by our bacterial composition, and that is appetite and stress resilience. If we can cause a, a stability or a regulation of hunger, so you're not feeling hungry 20 minutes after you eat or every hour on the hour, and you're not so keyed up and triggered by everything, that goes a long way to helping you with things like compliance and keeping your word and following through and not running to the pantry every afternoon. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's a very multifactorial sort of an effect. So there's one aspect of it that's coming from the microbiome in and of itself that mm -hmm. that better microbiome is sending better signals to the brain. So 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 you're not getting the bad signals, right? If you're if your microbiome is out of balance, you tend to be sending signals to the brain that the brain ends up interpreting as 
hey, something crunchy would be good right now, or something sweet would be good right now, or something fatty and salty would be good right now. Those are signals that come from the microbiome. So if you can change the signals that are coming, you, you have less of those signals and you have more of the signals that are associated with resilience. So that's one piece of it, direct signals from the microbiome. But a better microbiome is also gonna lower your cortisol. We showed that in our trial. Cortisol in and of itself is a signal to the brain that ramps up your, your appetite specifically for carbohydrates. And then the micro, a better microbiome also controls your blood sugar better. And so that's another one. If your blood sugar is more normalized, not only do you burn more fat throughout the day, but you, you don't get the dip in blood sugar, which sets off alarm bells in the brain and drives you to, to sweets through a different pathway. So you're changing your appetite in three ways by, by getting a stronger microbiome. That is so powerful. And I, I'm just so excited that we're having this conversation because I know there's so many people who feel like they've tried everything, but they're almost working against their body instead of working with it. And we really unleash that working with it component when we're focusing on our microbiome. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one of the things that we've found over the over the last year, especially when we've when we've used the microbiome to really focus on mood and metabolism, is that th those those three things are like when they're out of balance, they will set off more imbalance in each other. But when you get one of them balanced, it sets off balance in the others. You know, so we could we could start with the microbiome and get that in balance, and because of that, your mood gets better. And because of that, your metabolism gets better. And you can almost put them in any order because once one of them gets balanced, the next one gets balanced and the next right. one gets balanced. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's awesome to see because then the people are going from strength to strength to strength. And, you know, things just, people will come back and say, you know, I, I finally got traction or something, some, uh, you know, a, a switch was flipped or, you know, what, it, like what they'll describe it, however they describe it, but it's all about that getting back in balance and it gets people back on track. When I, well, let's see here. The first time I saw a fertility specialist, I was probably in my mid twenties and I was extremely overweight, over 150 pounds overweight. And, uh, they really didn't tell me anything other than, yeah, we can help you and what you can do to help yourself is lose weight. But I had been hearing that since I was like five years old. <laughs> right. And then years later, when I decided to freeze my eggs and we were having a conversation about you know general fertility over 35 years old and all of that, never once did the conversation come up about the microbiome and... I have probably read at least 10 books on fertility, and I don't think one of them has emphasized the importance of the microbiome in improving your fertility. And there's so many people who are struggling with infertility, males and females, and because this, this understanding is relatively new in the scheme of things, they don't know the impact. Can you talk about the connection between the bacterial makeup of our bodies and our fertility? Yeah, part, part of it is, part of it we really think is, well, let me, let me, let me say this first. We're still trying to tease out the exact mechanisms. We know what, like what you just described has been observed that people who are, that have fertility issues tend to have microbiome disruptions. That if, when you, at least in animal studies, if you, if you 
induce a microbiome disruption, you can interfere with fertility, right? So that linkage is, is, a, is a known thing these days. The question is, what's going on in between those two observations? The observation of microbiome disruption, fertility disruption. We know that they're linked, but what is causing the linkage? Part of it might be just compounds that the microbiome is making directly. The one place that we, that we have good evidence is that because the microbiome in a lot of ways is, is regulating our stress resilience, when it's not in a good place, our stress resilience is not in a good place. So that makes stress hormones like cortisol go up. That overexposure to cortisol will now interfere with estrogen if you're a woman, testosterone if you're a man, and that can get in the way. That, that, that sort of uh, interference with those two primary reproductive hormones can then you know mess up your 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 fertility so it could be it could be as simple as microbiome cortisol fertility but it's probably a little more complex than that and that's that's where a, a very vibrant scientific platform is underway right now to figure out how to how to modulate that we already have good data to show that if we can balance your your microbiome we can balance your cortisol and if we can balance your cortisol we can restore your fertility we know that piece of it, but there's probably more to the puzzle as well. You know what, as you say that, I'm thinking about how one of my most obvious observations as I've really been working on my own microbiome, including my gut health, is that my stress resilience is remarkably improved. Mm -hmm. Like this has been the last 12 to 18 months has been some of the most difficult times in my life. And I feel more equipped. It's almost like my baseline for freaking out has moved, you know, <laughs> right. like, like I can take more and settle into it and not have a meltdown than I've ever been able to in my life. Yep. Yep, exactly. And there's the there's the there's the other aspect of it too, where um, you know I, I was I was kind of trying to just, um, describe before that the microbiome is this kind of on-demand pharmacy, right? So when we it, when it's when it's in the right balance and it can become dynamic, it can deliver to us what we need when we need it. Mm. Um, if if it's in that dynamic state, if your body needs more estrogen, it probably doesn't tell your body to make more estrogen. But what it can do is in the, you know, in the estrogen testosterone cycle, your body will make it, your body will sort of metabolize those hormones um, and then, and then um, you know, make, them, make, them, make them no longer active. And so that no longer active will make its way to the intestines for, for, for excretion. Your microbiome, if it senses your body still needs more, can take that inactive form and reactivate it and put it back into the body. So, you know, it, it, it's that, 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 that dynamic nature of the microbiome being sort of this on-demand organ. That's a, that's a big piece of it. But because it's a moving target, sometimes it's difficult for us to measure. When we start talking in this way, I know everybody is kind of thinking, well, what do I need to do? Yeah, How, right. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I get it. It's really important. I want to ask you about supplements because this is a real hot button for me. But before that, I always like to start with lifestyle stuff at, out of the store, out of the shopping cart. What are some things that we can all do 
to improve our microbiome, to improve diversity, or um, to stop screwing with it and stop damaging it from maybe diet, movement, stress management? What are some of those things look like? Yeah, so so you know, the, 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 this is probably going to sound like a broken record to some of your listeners because the same things that we would recommend to somebody for just general wellness yeah. are going to be the same things that are going to be good for restoring that microbiome balance that we've been talking about. So we know that eating too much sugar and too too many processed foods is going to damage your microbiome. So if we're eating more whole foods and and especially more whole high fiber, brightly colored fruits and vegetables that have also have a lot of phytonutrients in it, that's going to that's gonna nourish your microbiome in a way that most sort of fast food doesn't. So that's, that's one piece of it. So, you know, you could, you know, people will hear that and they're like, oh, okay, now I'm going to eat more of those foods to nourish my microbiome, whereas I wasn't doing it before, right? It's just a, sort of a different, different target. Um, but we, you know, we also know that there's a difference in, in microbiome balance and microbiome resiliency between people who are sedentary and people who are physically active. We know that people who don't get enough sleep have a much less diverse microbiome than people who get enough sleep. So, you know, you could, you could look at that and go, oh, ho-hum, here's this person saying, eat right, move more, uh, and get your sleep, right? I've, I've heard that a thousand times before, but now you're hearing it from a different perspective that you can modulate that microbiome. And once you do that, once you get that met better microbiome, it really, like I was saying before, it really feeds on itself. Um, and I like people to do all those kinds of things before they go and look at supplements because yeah. the supplements, you know, it, it's one of, one of the challenges with, with a conversation like this is that there are so many moving parts to the microbiome. Someone could just sort of throw up their hands and go, well, I can never figure any of that out anyway. I'm just going to move along. But where we are with microbiome science and, and especially probiotic science or supplementation science is that we know that there are specific strains of bacteria that will do specific benefits in the body. And there are specific fibers, prebiotics, that will support those bacteria. So companies that, that, that sell the right kinds of strains will go out of their way to say, we have this strain that's been validated in human trials to do X. And we have this other strain that's validated to do Y. If, if, if you're looking at a product that is not prominently explaining to you those sorts of direct benefits, you probably shouldn't choose it because it's one of the generic products on the market that probably doesn't have any research whatsoever. Yeah. When I first met you, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember telling you that I had worked in the supplement industry mm -hmm. and that I saw some really crappy stuff go down. And I saw product after product, not just in the company I worked with, but in companies that we partnered with and our competition, where to hit a particular price point, we would dumb down the product and make it less effective in ways that the end user would probably never know. Mm -hmm. And then we wouldn't change the claims and we would just march right on. And then we would get notified by an ingredient supplier that some ingredient we were excited about that was really quality was either no longer available or as what happened more often, the price had gone up dramatically. So we decided to swap it for something cheaper mm -hmm. that wasn't as effective. And because of my years in that industry, I became quite skeptical about supplements and supplement companies and all of that kind of stuff. And 
I took many years off from supplementing because of that, which, you know, it's kind of like if I took the next 10 years off from working with a contractor because I've worked with a few really lousy ones, <laughs> right, um, right. you know, not, not necessarily the best option and certainly puts my own goals on hold. But when we talk about supplements and we talk about probiotics, what are some things, and you just mentioned one of them, prominently talking about what strains and, and clinical studies and that sort of stuff, but what are some things that maybe people should like be wary of? What are some things that people should look for? Because the most expensive product you're ever going to buy is the one that doesn't work, and there's a lot of people putting money into products that are just quite frankly garbage. Right, right, exactly. And you know, you you bring up a great point, Elizabeth. And you know, because your because your background is you know uh, someone who was who was formerly in that industry, there's a you need to you need to go into choosing a product with 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 what I call open minded skepticism. Right, say be skeptical of any claims that any company is going to be making, but then be open minded to say, look, if you can prove to me that 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 this product is lives up to its to its billing so to speak then you know then maybe i'll give it a try and that's where the science comes in that's where you can say here's this one particular strain of bacteria that has been shown to reduce depression for example or here's this other specific structure of fiber that has been shown to improve stress resilience or you know you get the idea if if a company can't make that very direct linkage then then you then you really shouldn't choose it you know because their probiotics are a good example where i would say maybe 90% of the products out there don't even tell you what strains are in there. They might say lactobacillus acidophilus, right? But that doesn't tell you the strain. That tells you the genus and the species. Right. The tell me, is, wait, let's go back to that because okay. I know for sure that people are going to look in their cabinet and go, no, 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 it has the strain on there. It says lactobacillus acidophilus. It says bifidobacterium longum, right? right. But right. that's not what you mean. Right, exactly. So, so that lactobacillus acidophilus, there might be 15 or 20 different strains of that particular genus and species. So genus, the lactobacillus species acidophilus. The strain will, will very likely be a number or a letter or some combination of letters or numbers that comes after that. You know, so it might say lactobacillus acidophilus LA-14, right? That's one that, that I've actually used in a probiotic product to help people with um, the, the setting up the right environment for their gut, you know, pr making sure that they have the right pH, that pH is then going to be associated with absorbing the right minerals. And so that's a very specific strain that does a very specific effect, which is mineral absorption. Um, but if it just says lactobacillus acidophilus, it might be 14, which is mineral absorption. It might be uh, five, which is immune system. It might be, and so, so you get the idea that they can be completely different effects. And if your product only says lactobacillus acidophilus, it might be one that, that does something you're not interested in. It might be something that does nothing that has never been clinically validated. It might be dead. It might be, you know, right. it's, it's all those kinds of questions. So that's why people have to, have to look at the specific strains and make sure that the strains match up with what they're, what they're looking for in terms of a benefit. It's, it's kind of like if you picked up a vitamin bottle and it said vitamin B. 
vitamin totally. K. Yeah, like you'd be like, well, which one? Right, <laughs> right, but, exactly. Or you picked yeah. up a bottle that just had vitamins on the front and didn't right. say anything else. You're like, well, what vitamins and what levels of vitamins? And right. you know, right, right, absolutely. We know that there's B1, there's B2, there's B3, there's B6, there's B12, there's B9, and they all do something different. Different. Yep. Yeah, that's such a good point. That if it just says the the two big scientific words usually is how it comes across that's not specific enough for you to right. buy that product right yeah so so what people should not look for is just hey i need some probiotics because they're good mm -hmm. you know what you want to do is is really think about probiotics exactly the way you just described think of them like very specific vitamins so you know if you're looking for an energy benefit, if you're looking for a weight loss benefit, if you're looking for a metabolism benefit or a mood benefit or a resilience benefit, whatever, there are strains that will do those things. And, and like I said, the companies that have those strains will, will certainly go out of their way to make sure you know that. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else about what people should look for when purchasing supplements because and i guess before i even have you answer that i always say you know we would not want to go find the perfect fertilizer for our garden and then pour it on wood right because the fertilizer could be perfect and in the analogy and like the supplement yep. could be perfect but if you're pouring that fertilizer on wood you're not going to get the effect and and i and i tell people this because going back to what you said, you know, you've got to get those dietary changes and all of that kind of stuff in line. I'm not saying don't supplement if you don't have those things, because like we already talked about, supplementing can help reduce your cravings. And then that makes it easier to eat a little bit better. Or the supplements might really help with your stress resilience. So you're not as prone to stress eating. Right. But I do think that these things are synergistic and they go hand in hand. So I just want people to kind of have that in their minds before they run out and spend money on any supplements. But any other thoughts on what folks should be looking for? Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 you know, sort of stepping off from exactly what you just described there, you know, if, if someone's trying to, you know, get in shape and this is the perfect time of year to be talking about this kind of thing, you wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't look at it and go, well, I'll just do supplements or I'll just do diet or I'll just do exercise or I'll just get better sleep or I'll just get a handle on my stress. You would, you would try to do a little bit of all of that. The same kind, you know, because of the synergistic effects, you wouldn't rely, you wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. The same kind of principle goes for supplements that you wouldn't want to look at just probiotics necessarily, or just prebiotics, or just vitamins, or just herbal supplements. You would really want to look and see: Are these products? Are they? Do they have a? Do they have a good blend? Is it? Is it like a diet? Like our diets ought to be these these good combinations of proteins and fibers and fats and the right carbohydrates and all that kind of stuff together. It's not that one should predominate over the other. It's the same for supplements. So, you know, not only do you want to look at those, you know, those science-based strains, you want to make sure that they're, that they're combined with things that, you know, other ingredients that are going to help those strains do their job better. So it's that idea of, you know, getting, getting as close to that whole food less processed kind of an idea as possible. I think, I think that's something that people are going to want to look for when they're, when they're looking at supplements. I am so glad that we are having this conversation and really lifting the, the veil on the impact of the microbiome because it is so much more than gut health. And while yes, 
It can be really powerful if you're struggling with constipation or with diarrhea or you're chronically bloated, but it's also a critical part of the conversation if we're talking about metabolism, if we're talking about any type of hormonal dysfunction, if we're talking about mood disorders, if we're talking about chronic cravings or a lack of satiety and feeling like you're never full. So thank you so much, Dr. Sean, for being willing to share not only your expertise, but also your time to help people look at their options in a whole new way because a lot of my listeners feel very, very frustrated that they've tried some of the mainstream things and no one has let them know that their microbiome could be the stone that they have not yet turned. And uh, you just brought us a lot closer to, to that improvement for them. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on again, Elizabeth. We will have to do this again. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Primal Potential Podcast, where our goal is not to help you learn. Our goal is to help you change. This is a year of action. Take something you learned from this episode and put it into action in your life today. To learn more about working more closely with me and the Primal Potential team, please visit primalpotential.com forward slash transform.